Chapter One of Olive. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ariel Lipshaw. Olive by Dinah Maria Craig. Chapter One. Queer wee lassie, ye hae a waesome welcome to a waesome world. Such was the first greeting ever received by my heroine, Olive Rothsay. However, she would be then entitled neither a heroine nor even Olive Rothsay, being a small, nameless concretion of humanity, in color and consistency strongly resembling the red earth whence was taken the father of all nations. No foreshadowing of the coming life brightened her purple, pinched-up, withered face, which, as in all newborn children, bore such a ridiculous likeness to extreme old age. No tone of the all-expressive human voice thrilled through the unconscious wail that was her first utterance, and in her wide-open meaningless eyes had never dawned the beautiful human soul. There she lay, as you and I, reader, with all our compeers, lay once, a helpless lump of breathing flesh, faintly stirred by animal life, and scarce at all by that inner life which we call spirit. And if we thus look back, half in compassion, half in humiliation, at our infantile likeness, may it not be that in the world to come, some who in this world bore an outward image poor, mean, and degraded, will cast a glance of equal pity on their well-remembered olden selves, now transfigured into beautiful immortality. I seem to be wandering from my olive Rothsay, but time will show the contrary. Poor little spirit! newly come to earth who knows whether that waesome welcome may not be a prophecy. The old nurse seemed almost to dread this, even while she uttered it, for with superstition from which not an old wife in Scotland is altogether free, she changed the dolorous croon into a good guide us, and pressing the babe to her aged breast, bestowed a hearty blessing upon her nursling of the second generation, the child of him who was at once her master and her foster son. And where's me that he's so far away, and canna do it himsel? My bonny bairn, you're coming to the world without a father's blessing. Perhaps the good soul's clasp was the tenderer, and her warm heart throbbed the warmer to the newborn child, for a passing remembrance of her own two fatherless babes, who now slept, as close together as when, twin laddies, they had nestled in one mother's bosom, slept beneath the wide Atlantic which marks the sea-boy's grave. Nevertheless, the memory was now grown so dim with years that it vanished the moment the infant waked and began to cry. Rocking to and fro, the nurse tuned her cracked voice to a long-forgotten lullaby, something about a boaty. It was stopped by a hand on her shoulder, followed by the approximation of a face which, in its bland gravity, bore M.D. on every line. "'Well, my good—excuse me, but I forget your name.' Elspeth or mere commonly Elsby Murray. And no an ill name, doctor. The Murray's a Perth where— No doubt, no doubt, Mrs. Elsappy. Elsby, sir, how dare you call me out of my name We your uncivil English tongue? Well, then, Elsby, or what the deuce you like, said the doctor, vexed out of his proprieties. But his rosy face became rosier when he met the horrified and sternly reproachful stare of Elsby's keen blue eyes as she turned round, a whole volume of sermons expressed in her, eh, sir? Then she added, quietly, I'll thank you no to speak ill words in the ears of this poor innocent newborn ween. It's no canny. Humph! I suppose I must beg pardon again. 
I shall never get out what I wanted to say, which is that you must be quiet, my good dame, and you must keep Mrs. Rothsay quiet. She is a delicate young creature, you know, and must have every possible comfort that she needs." The doctor glanced round the room as though there was scarce enough comfort for his notions of worldly necessity. Yet, though not luxurious, the antechamber and the room half revealed beyond it seemed to furnish all that could be needed by an individual of moderate fortune and desires, and an eye more romantic and poetic than that of the worthy medico might have found ample atonement for the want of rich furniture within, in the magnificent view without. The windows looked down on a lovely champagne, through which the many winding forth span its silver network, until, vanishing in the distance, a white sparkle here and there only showed whither the river wandered. In the distance the blue mountains rose like clouds marking the horizon. The foreground of this landscape was formed by the hill, castle-crowned, than which there is none in the world more beautiful or more renowned. In short, Olive Rothsay shared with many a king and hero the honour of her place of nativity. She was born at Stirling. Perhaps the circumstance of birth has more influence over character than many matter-of-fact people would imagine. It is pleasant, in after-life, to think that we first opened our eyes in a spot famous in the world's story, or remarkable for natural beauty. It is sweet to say, those are my mountains, or this is my fair valley, and there is a delight almost like that of a child who glories in his noble or beautiful parents, in the grand historical pride which links us to the place where we were born. So this little morsel of humanity, yet unnamed, whom by an allowable prescience we have called Olive, may perhaps be somewhat influenced in after life by the fact that her cradle was rocked under the shadow of the hill of Stirling, and that the first breezes which fanned her baby brow came from the highland mountains. But the excellent presiding genius at this interesting advent cared for none of these things. Dr. Jacob Johnson stood at the window with his hands in his pockets. To him the wide beautiful world was merely a field for the exercise of the medical profession, a place where old women died and children were born. He watched the shadows darkening over Ben Leddy, calculating how much longer he ought in propriety to stay with his present patient, and whether he should have time to run home and take a cosy dinner and a bottle of port before he was again required. "'Our sweet young patient is doing well, I think, nurse,' said he at last in his most benevolent tones. "'You may say that, doctor. You sooth can. I might almost venture to leave her, except that she seems so lonely, without friend or nurse, save yourself.' "'And was the best nurse for Captain Angus Rothsay's wife in Bairn, but the woman that nursed himself?' said Elsby, lifting up her tall, gaunt frame, and for the second time frowning the little doctor into confused silence. "'And as for friends, ye shall just be unco glad of the chance that gared the leddy bide here, and no among her ain folk, else there would not have been such a sad welcome for her bonny Bairn. Maybe a war, though.' added the woman to herself, with a sigh, as she once more half-buried her little nursling in her capacious embrace. "'I have not the slightest doubt of Captain Rothsay's respectability,' answered Dr. Johnson. "'Respectability! Applied to the scions of a family which had had the honour of being nearly extirpated at Flood and Field, and again at Pinky. Had the trusty follower of the Rothsays heard the term, she certainly would have been inclined to annihilate the presumptuous Englishman.' but she was fortunately engaged in stilling the cries of the poor infant, who, in return for the pains she took in addressing it, began to give full evidence that the weakness of its lungs was not at all proportionate to the smallness of its size. "'Crying will do it good. A fine child, a very fine child,' observed the doctor, as he made ready for his departure, while the nurse proceeded in her task, 
and the heap of white drapery was gradually removed until from beneath it appeared a very, very tiny specimen of babyhood. "'You need not trouble yourself to say what's no true,' was the answer. "'It's just a bit barney, uncle sma, and that's nae wonder, considering the poor mither's trouble. And the father is gone abroad. Just twa months since sign. But eh, doctor, look ye here, suddenly cried Elspie, as with her great brown but tender hand she was rubbing down the delicate spine of the now quieted babe. Well, what's the matter now? said Dr. Johnson rather sulkily, as he laid down his hat and gloves. The child is quite perfect, rather small perhaps, but as nice a little girl as ever was seen. It's all right. It's norect, cried the nurse, in a tone trembling between anger and apprehension. Doctor, see? She pointed with her finger to a slight curve at the upper part of the spine, between the shoulder and neck. The doctor's professional anxiety was aroused. He came near and examined the little creature, with a countenance that grew graver each instant. A wheel? said Elsbee inquiringly. I wish I had noticed this before, but it would have been of no use, he answered, his bland tones made earnest by real feeling. Eh, what? said the nurse. I am sorry to say that the child is deformed, slightly so, very slightly, I hope, but most certainly deformed, humpbacked. At this terrible sentence Elspie sank back in her chair. Then she started up, clasping the child convulsively, and faced the doctor. Ye lee, ye ugly creepin' Englisher! How dare ye speak so of any o' the Rosses? For the blue o' wilt came the tallest men and the bonniest leddies, ne'er a cripple among them, ah! How dare ye say that my master's bairn will be a— Where's me? I cannot speak the word. My poor woman, mildly said the doctor, I am really concerned. Hold your tongue, ye fool, muttered Elspie, while she again laid the child in her lap and examined it earnestly for herself. The result confirmed all. She wrung her hands and rocked to and fro, moaning aloud. Oh, come, the weary day! Oh, my dear master, my bairn that I nursed on my knee! How will ye come back and see your firstborn, the last o' the Rothsays, a queer bit crippled lassie? A faint call from the inner room startled both doctor and nurse. "'Good heavens!' exclaimed the former. "'We must think of the mother. Stay, I'll go. She does not, and she must not know of this. What a blessing that I have already told her the child was a fine and perfect child. Poor thing! Poor thing!' he added passionately, as he hurried to his patient, leaving Elspie hushed into silence, still mournfully gazing on her charge. It would have been curious to mark the changes in the nurse's face during that brief interval. At first it wore a look almost of repugnance as she regarded the unconscious child, and then that very unconsciousness seemed to awaken her womanly compassion. Queer hapless ween, ye little ken what you're coming to, lack o' kinsman's love, and lack o' siller and lack o' beauty. God forgive me, but why did he send ye into the wayful world at ah? It was a question the nature of which has perplexed theologians, philosophers, and metaphysicians in every age, and will perplex them all to the end of time. No wonder, therefore, that it could not be solved by the poor simple Scotswoman. But as she stood hushing the child to her breast, and looking vacantly out of the window at the far mountains which grew golden in the sunset, she was unconsciously soothed by the scene, and settled the matter in a way which wiser heads might often do with advantage. Aweel! He kens best. He made the world and all that's in't, and maybe he will gee into this poor wee thing a meek spirit to bear ill luck. Ain must work and neither suffer. As the minister says, it'll all come ricked at last. 
Still the babe slept on, the sun sank, and night fell upon the earth. And so the morning and evening made the first day of the new existence, which was about to be developed, through all the various phases which composed that strange and touching mystery, a woman's life. End of chapter 1